0: Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy, including about 24 hours after the last game of the season. I am your host, Toby. Thank you so much for listening. Today is going to be episode 9 of Bubba and the Bat Flip. Bubba and I are going to recap both of our fantasy baseball seasons, share a little bit about our teams, but hopefully uh, with a connection to uh, lessons that we can learn um, from the teams that we had moving forward. Uh, We're also going to dip our toes into some analysis for the 2020 uh, fantasy baseball drafts, taking a look at strategy and maybe some of the things that we learned from the teams we drafted this year and our experience in the always-changing fantasy baseball landscape. We will then draft, uh we'll, we'll, we'll then divvy up the most uh, sought-after awards ever, and those are the first annual Bubba and the Bat Flip uh, awards for Fantasy MVP, Fantasy Cy Young, and Fantasy Rookie of the Year. And then we will uh, draft uh, an all-star team uh, of fantasy performers for this season, so a really fun show, and as always... Uh, Wonderful uh, to join Bubba for the podcast. Apologies that we have missed a couple weeks here. Uh, I had a power outage in one of them. Uh, Power was out for eight hours, and unfortunately, we uh, record via computers and utilize the internet, and so uh, that just wasn't happening at the time. And then uh, last week, we just weren't able to to make it come together. So apologies for that, but we're going to try to make up to it. Make it up to, to all of you um, by uh, producing some uh, hopefully helpful content between now and your 2020 fantasy baseball drafts. We will be uh, continuing hopefully about uh, once a week uh, on the podcast here. And then I'm also, I know I always mention this, but I'm also going to try to provide... Um, some additional supporting podcasts as I start to do kind of player analysis and stuff like that as we go. And I'm also hoping to do a bunch of interviews uh, with folks in the fantasy industry that I um, really respect just to get their thoughts on the last season, what we have to look forward to in 2020, and then some of the some of the, the, uh, the gems of knowledge that they possess. So hopefully it should be a really fun off season and a busy one um, here at uh, Batflip Crazy and Bubba in the Batflip. So if you do like uh, the Batflip Crazy podcast or uh, the Bub in the Batflip uh, podcast, please do go to iTunes and uh, provide a rating and review. Always really, really uh, appreciate that. And it's helpful uh, for keeping, keeping the motivational juices going. So if you could do that, if you haven't already, would greatly appreciate it. And then just let people know um, that you enjoy the podcast by liking and retweeting it if possible. All right, let us hop into uh, I guess the first podcast of the off season since the season is over. Um, this should be a lot of fun. Let's get this party started.
1: And welcome back, everybody, to Bubba and the Bat Flip, Episode Nine, Edition Nine, whatever, whatever you like to call it. I'm on Twitter at bdintrick and. The bat flip portion of Bubba and the Bat Flip. You can find him on Twitter at Batflip crazy. Toby, how are we doing, man?
0: We're doing pretty good, Bubba. Season is over. I just want to say though, man, I missed you. It's been it's been a few weeks. We had like power outages and injuries, and you know. But uh, we're we're back, and and it's exciting to be on with you again.
1: Yep, it's good to be to be doing it again. It's been a couple weeks off, but you know, life life gets in the way. It happens. It's, it does. Uh, and it's good, and we're going to power you guys through the off season. Pretty, We're going to try to get you as often as we can, do different things to recap seasons, to get you ready for next season. Tonight we're going to recap our uh, our seasons and then talk about just like fantasy all-stars and kind of the, the big players of the fantasy baseball season and how we saw fit if it was just they were that awesome or they provided value or whatnot. We'll go through all of that, but um, Toby was in a boatload of leagues, so we're going to have some fun here. and He did very, very well much better than I did in my leagues but we'll start with the one league that we have kind of together we were in different leagues but the overall we can compare and that's TGFBI Toby you were in the champions league so I'll let you take over and, and go there first how did things fare in the champions league of just a bunch of beasts that you drafted with oh man well
0: it was uh it was a blast first and foremost i mean playing in the in the champions league just an incredible group of players every single person was just um yeah, it was just a lot of it was a lot of fun to kind of test uh, yourself against some of the best in the industry, um, you know. And TGFBI just in general is a great place to do that. Um, so Kenyatta Storin ended up winning. Uh, he finished fifteenth overall. He won with one hundred fourteen and a half points. It was nuts. The last like two weeks, I think three different teams had the lead at different points during the last few weeks. Um, there was a point in time when it was like eleven uh, 111.5 to 111 to 110.5 for the top three. Uh, but in the end, Kenyana ended up winning, and, and he was solid throughout. I think um, very, he was always at the top, and then towards the last half of the year, um, he was really at the top for most of it. Went through a little bit of a lull, but I think as you'll find with a lot of fantasy league, there's a lot of ebb and flow you know, to them. Uh, James Anderson put up an incredible um, fight towards the end he came back from I think he was around 50th overall with maybe like a month month and a half to go he finished actually as the highest uh, with the highest overall rank at 11 Um, and he had Garrett Cole and Jacob deGrom uh, down the stretch which was just insane like what what a combination and what drafting like from a pitching perspective for him so really great um I finished third at at 108 points so uh a ways behind you know I I had a chance and my offense just could not get it going I just like couldn't get my offense going that last month of the season like I, I sit here and it's just it's so painful because I really wanted to win this league it was a huge lead I had a like 1,086 runs, and then it's like 1,089, 1,090, 1,098, 1,099. There's like four points just sitting there within like 10 runs, you know? But that's the story for a lot of guys. It was a lot of fun. Um, A bunch of us finished in the top 50. Uh, Eddie Almaguer actually finished higher with an overall rank with me, 107.5. He also had a kid. He had a, a baby girl, I think, Wall in the last couple weeks so congratulations to him that's quite a feat um both of those and then clay finished top 50 as well um so just a really uh, an awesome time a fun time congrats to kenyatta um congrats to everybody who who performed really well james really put uh, on a, an awesome show towards the end there um but yeah it was a lot it was a lot of fun how about you how did how did uh, league two right you guys had a super competitive yep race.
1: Yeah, League Two was wild. Like it was Kenneth Lee ended up taking it down with 123 points, but it was it was crazy because he started out the year and just blasted everybody out of the water. We thought it was an easy easy show for Kenneth Lee, and he got a fight towards the end. Uh, my team finished fourth, 35th overall with 107 points Ooh. in our league. Nice. Um, it was cr- it was crazy because at one point I was as high as second this year. Then I fell down to like ninth with some injuries. Worked back up to as high as second again. I was coasting pretty good in third. Brock Miller finished second. Brock was all the way. He got into first place on Friday. And then it Ooh. fell back to Kenneth Lee on the weekend. Brock finished with 119 points. He put uh, one of the best fights I've ever seen. But Kenneth kept fighting. Kenneth had all kinds of money at the end of spend, which was huge for him. But Greg Smith, Greg Sauce, who you know, um, at yeah. Greg Sauce on Twitter from the Barf League. This dude finished third with 110 points. He had a seven-point sh- swing on Sunday. And that's what got me out of third place. He just went bananas. Like, I was overall 35th. He was overall 36th. He made a lot, like, over the last two weeks. I didn't have fab for, like, the last three weeks. With some of the bids I had made towards the end, I might as well not have fab for, like, a month or so. There are a couple of $1 shots in the dark. Um, Greg used his leftover fab to his advantage. And he moved Mm up, like, from sixth or seventh and moved all the way up to, like, uh, third. So, it, it was really, really good for Greg Smith. Super competitive league. It, it looked like it was going to be a runaway for a while. and turned out to be pretty good um, up and down. But I was just happy with it because last year's performance, my team struggled tremendously to, to get up to almost finish in top two but get 35th overall. I'll take that every day of the week. So I'm, I'm pretty pretty happy with that situation for sure. So yeah, it was, it was good in the TGFBI. Hopefully we can continue it going on. Uh, next year is going to be awesome in League 3. I can't wait to see what new people – we get to play with. Um, it, it was awesome to see Todd Zola of Rotowire. wire roto two for two now. Todd Zola takes it down. He had a heck of a season. A lot of great finishes in the top of TGFBI, but it was good to see, and Justin Mason did it again. So it was pretty awesome, And Looking forward to year three. All right, let's talk NFBC. You had a boatload of teams. So why don't you run us through what you had going on there in FBC?
0: All right, um, so the uh... – my best finish was I won my my main event that I was in, um, which was, it was brutal down to the line because I was, I finished ninth overall. So out of, I think, 575 or 570 people. So I feel really good about that. Um, you know, it's obviously incredibly tough competition. And so um, for being my first year doing NFBC, you know, it just, it feels good to ha- kind of have that. Have that win and to show a little bit about um, you know the fact that I can play that I can play, uh, but it was tough towards the end. I mean, it ended up being one twenty seven point five to one twenty three point five. I finished ninth overall, and the guy behind me finished eighteenth overall, which is kind of brutal. I think there's thirty five teams, so to finish eighteenth overall and not necessarily get a W is a little bit uh, a little bit tough for the guy who was following me. His name is Doug Cassidy. Um, I don't think he's on. Twitter, or at least active on Twitter, but, um, he put in, uh, an incredible effort and was really kind of, um, you know, he was just nipping at my tail, the the whole last month of the season even went in front for a little bit, but I ended up pulling that out. So that was really, um, that was really nice. That one felt um, really good. And then to finish ninth overall, um, uh, was awesome. In my other main event, I finished fifth, uh, Brian Rudd from baseball HQ won that he's a terrific player. Um, a lot of really good um, players in that league. Um, Brian won with 122.5 points, um, uh, followed by uh, Gino Yu, and then Bradley Libros, who um, uh, is a really good NFBC player as well. Just some great names um, in that league. I finished fifth. I blame my draft. Um, I just really had a bad. <laughs> I had a bad draft. Uh, I went. I started Sale Bower. And then I went Adalberto Mondesi, um, who was good, who was was good when he played, but he was just out so much. Then Puig, who was fine, but a little bit of a disappointment. And then Daniel Murphy, Will Myers, just a really ugly start to the draft. And so I'm a little proud that I was able to, you know, finish fairly high up in that league. But um, again, kudos to Brian Rudd. He's He's a tough guy to compete against, and he's just a really great player. So hats off to him. In my other leagues, I finished, I had four um, online championships, which are 12 team leagues. I finished second, second, third, and third. Uh, In my one league that I share with my buddy, uh, Andrew Matney, um, we finished 77th overall. I think there's like, I don't know, 1,500 or 2,000 teams. So that was pretty good, but it wasn't good enough for um, first place. In that league, we finished, I think, three points behind. Um, yeah, two and a half points behind. We were in the lead with like three days left. Um, we had a we had a rampage towards the end there where we got really close, but weren't able to uh, get it close enough. And then the other one was a little bit of a heartbreaker. Um, it was a solo league I had, and I lost by what I lose by. In the end, it was one point. Um, so that was that was tough. I had a I, I lost it in RBI too on the last day. Uh, by like three. So that was tough. The 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 two three or third place finishes, I was never really in that close. I missed out on second by one point. And then I won a DC 97th overall out of like two thousand or three thousand teams, which was pretty good too. So won that one third, fifth and twelfth in the other one. So overall, like I was I was pretty satisfied with the season because of the main event finish. I would have liked to finish first and more of the leagues, you know, two out of whatever I have 11 on here, um, is, uh, is good, but it's not necessarily like I, I want to win. I want to win. So, um, whatever, but it's tough. It's tough competition. So that's kind of how I fared, uh, in the, in the NFBC. How did you do yeah, those some are, your other leagues?
1: Yeah, Those are some awesome, uh, awesome finishes. I wouldn't be too, uh, too bummed out on that. That's for sure. Um, a few others I was in, I was in the Fake Teams, the Fake uh, fake Teams on Twitter, their uh, their website, faketeams.com. They put together a Fake Teams and Friends 15-team rotisserie or, or, similar to like TGFBI format. I ended up finishing sixth. Another team where just injuries crushed me. I was second for like two-thirds of the season, just outside of first. And then just the injury bug just dismantled me in a hurry. It was uh, It was ugly early and often in that league so like when when you lose Josh Bell for a while that got me in TGFBI too that was bad but like Giancarlo Ryan Zimmerman those guys were on for a while I know they're not great plays but being on the the IL for quite some time and then when Matthew Boyd blows up and those kind of guys really really takes things away in a 15-team league it makes you you drown out pretty quickly so um, that part is really really rough so yeah fake teams finished sixth there injuries got the best of me and it kind of sucked I battled back to get to six but that was a rough go. I took over a dead dynasty league with Ditka and sausage boys from Razzball. It, I knew it wasn't going to be any good. I traded everything I could and reloaded. Uh, so that's got, a, that's got a couple of years to go. Most likely uh, the quant edge, we had a head to head league finished second there. lost, I was first dominating all year lost in the championship game six to four. That's why I head to head. So no
0: head to head, no head. <laughs> no, it's the only head,
1: it's the only head to head I was in and I didn't want it to be head to head. Trust me on that one. And, uh, and then barf barf was my last league and i know you were in barf as well mm. and that was a fun finish joe g uh finished first there which is awesome to see sammy finished second sammy reed almost got his uh second title in a row you finished third thorburn fourth eno fifth greg sauce same guy from uh, tgfp i got sixth. kang seventh um giants homer uh eighth. i got ninth that was one where i just a i told you guys a couple weeks ago my um my whole strategy uh, of pitching completely mm-hmm. backfired on me, yeah. and then um, that that crushed me because my offense wasn't horrible, it, it wasn't great, but the pitching, my whole strategy there just destroyed me. But uh, so I finished ninth there. We'll definitely have to redo things because uh, hitting wise, it wasn't that bad. Pitching wise, it was rough. Uh, you finished third though. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, um, you know, I. That was a t- that was a tough one. Um, I felt like I could never really get uh, going on a consistent basis in barf for some reason. Like I was I was winning at different points in the season. I think around mid season, it was it was such an interesting league. It was like uh, Doug Thorburn, myself, Sammy, and then Joe who ended up winning the league. And then Greg saw it, Greg too. Greg um, Smith. Uh, he was also like, it was kind of five teams that were just kind of juggling and going through these rotations um, in the pecking order. And um, I just couldn't get it going. I I think, you know, like, um, uh, you know, Sammy is a great player. Joe's a great player. Like uh, they dominated. I'm a little frustrated at myself in this league because I feel like I never made, made, I never made the adjustments that I needed to make. Like I finished very low in OBP and Um, you know, I just didn't, I didn't pay enough attention to that category, which could have been, uh, I think, changed like pretty quickly. But it was all just, it was all just bad. Like I was down in stolen bases. I drafted poorly. Like you know, I drafted Trevor Bauer in the second round, and that really hurt me a lot. Like when he was really struggling. And so even with Jacob Degrom to anchor the staff, it was still. Kind of tough, and, and you know like again, like I didn't draft super well, and I wasn't able to get the guys that I needed to, like um one that stands out is John birdie, like I could never get stolen bases going and for some reason, I had him as like the fourth or fifth conditional bid on the week that he was going in a lot of leagues. I hadn't picked him up earlier than that for some reason, and like you know that could have made a huge difference, but in the end, like Sammy played great, um Joe played awesome. And Joe just dominated down the stretch. I mean, like the last month, like maybe three weeks, um, he really kind of outpaced us by a little bit. And so hats off to him. I'm excited to kind of get back to the draft room. That was such a fun experience. My first live draft to meet all the guys who were so welcoming. Thank you to Justin for kind of inviting me and, and letting me participate in that. That was uh, just awesome. I'm really looking forward to next year and, uh, and giving uh, giving Joe a run for his money again.
1: Yeah, it'll be fun because we're definitely going to do a live draft, get together, do that all again. So it'll be a, a ton of fun there with Mason and company. Uh, a lot of good dudes in that. Let's talk about a couple lessons we learned from the season before we get into our All Stars and, and awards. Um, one thing you wanted to talk about, and it, it, it sounds like a, a, a common theme through some of your drafts, is the the draft wise situation. What did you learn, per se, like draft wise, and your overall success?
0: Well, I mean, like, I, I feel like there's so many lessons that I'm just kind of stewing over a little bit. And again, like, it's always hard when you're this close to the season to determine what is actual, what is like actionable stuff, you know, and what was just like luck of the draw. Um, we were joking around about it before, like on the call, but my team that won the main event that finished ninth overall, I mean, I did it. I did a terrible job drafting in that one too. So if anybody is going to believe any of my draft advice heading into next season, please, please don't. Um, but, you know, I started that. Uh, so, so number one is that you can make mistakes, right? You can overcome mistakes as long as you find values later on in the draft. And obviously easier said than done. But, you know, in my main event league, uh, my first 10 picks were Garrett Cole, who was amazing. Blake Smanow, bust. Andrew Benintendi, pretty much a bust. Anthony Rendon was awesome. Eddie Rosario was great. Will Myers, a little bit of a bust. Nelson Cruz was awesome. But then Wade Davis, not good. Justin Upton, terrible. And then Yohan uh, Moncada. So I essentially made up the mistakes that I made earlier in the draft later on with some values. But I joked around with you, like my pitching staff, like the only decent pitchers that I ended up drafting were like Cole. And then I I picked up Lucas Giolito on the waiver wire. But him and minor were really like the only starting pitcher studs. And then Alex Colomay was kind of a staple in my lineup for the whole season. But I was able to add like Liam Hendricks and um, uh, Lucas Giolito and then uh, a bunch of, uh, of other guys who kind of fit in for it. So I just think it goes to show that you can make mistakes. I think a lot of times we focus so much energy around the draft and for good reason. But in the, in the end, you know, like if you can find some values, you can make some mistakes and then working the waiver wire, especially with the injury situation, like it is, especially with like data, the way it is really, where you have guys who are utilizing advanced analytics to hit the ball in the air more, like to identify gaps in their swing and who can, who can make jump value wise. Like you can definitely, you can definitely make uh, mistakes. Um, I've got a bunch of them that I'll, that I can go off on for a while, but um, what are what are some of the ones that you uh, identified as well?
1: Yeah, the the draft thing is, is is one thing. Is people need to remember it's such a grind, it's such a long season that you have to be like diligent. That's one thing that I admire but guys like yourself, and you know you got Scott Jenstad. He's one of the, like the biggest grinders I know, and Vlad, and so many of those guys. Like, there's too many to mention. Like everyone that finishes well grinds their rear end off in this system we have, but the fab, the fab system, it's, it's a lot of work. You got to be willing to go super deep, have multiple options out there, play with the pricing, find a way to uh, save it. Cause that was one of the biggest things I did running out of fab cost me finishing maybe second in TGI league, finishing fourth was still, it was nice. Finishing 30 overall is nice, but what could have been type thing is if you do it, because you know, you, you can, you're not going to win a, a, a team on draft day, I wouldn't even say you're going to lose it. Like, football, you might lose it on draft day because it's so quick. But baseball, you got so much time. Like, I'm looking back at my TGFBI league, and almost my bottom half of my draft wasn't even on my team outside of Max Kepler in round 17, Josh Bell in round 18, and, like, Ryan McMahon in round 27. Pretty much everybody else from around, like, 13 or 12 and below – wasn't really involved in my final roster like it's it's pretty crazy i had a i had so much mixing and matching you just gotta hit the value where you hit it and just be super active on the waiver wire but like don't go crazy i think that fabapalooza that's something that's gonna be fun to look back on and and people that spent a lot there to see how that ended up uh than others because somehow i didn't get any of the big prospects i know you got cole tucker how do you think that affected your overall situation
0: yeah you know, I think it was big. I think that's one of the things that I take away, too, is if you're gonna make a um if you're gonna make a big bid, like at least make sure that it's for an elite level prospect or some sort of elite level talent, because that ended up hurting me a lot. I mean, I did a decent job of managing fab down the stretch um, in my leagues, and I had a decent amount. and I feel like this year more than others that I've seen, like people have have blown their fab pretty early on. And so I was in a good position in a lot of leagues, but I actually think like I made a mistake towards the end in the second to last week, I spent a bunch of fab probably more than I needed to, to make sure that I got some guys that I wanted. And as a result, I wasn't in a dominant position the last week of the season. And I had a tweet where I was like, I think I might've played this last week wrong. And I got super lucky because the guy behind me did not end up turning, um, you know, his, I think he had like, you know, like 11 starts on this on the week, and I ended up having like six or seven. And he wasn't able to turn that into more wins than I had, I actually ended up with more wins than him by a couple on the week. Um, And so, you know, I could have been in a really bad place if the chips had fallen uh, in a little bit of a different way. And so I think making sure that you have a decent amount of fab towards the end, especially in a position, like where you can dominate towards the end, because so many points can be gained and lost in that last week. When there's so much uncertainty about who's gonna pitch and who's not gonna be there, that you really need to have a lot of options that you can go to. But then I think that Cole Tucker bid, it was a terrible bid. Like it was literally like a Sunday night. I had flown earlier in the day. I was in Atlanta. I was literally putting in the bids in my in the back of a taxi. And I was like, it was the first big prospect to come up. I like really wanted him. He had played well in the first two games. And so it was just like really not a very rational play on my end and it costs down the road because like, I wasn't in the, in the running, you know, for guys like, you know, Jordan Alvarez, who was, who everybody knew was going to be a guy who came up and kind of hit, maybe not as well as he did, but just not being in a position to really take advantage or to, to make a bunch of those like 25 to $50 bids that, you know, that, that, that can really make or break your team because those like, those are the bids that I put in for like Hunter Dozier or uh, Lucas Giolito early in the season that ended up panning out. And So I think just being a little bit more moderate and tempered in in how I spend my fab and making sure that I have a decent reserve for down the stretch because it can really put you in a position to succeed that last month of the season if you can dominate the guys that are ahead of you.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. That's, that's one thing for sure. I know one thing you want to talk about is uh, paying for closers, and that was a, a big discussion. Going into last year's draft, it was like, okay, you know, we saw the big years from Edwin Diaz and Kimmy Jansen and all those kind of guys. Like, do you pay for that, or do you try to take the value? And it was kind of, you're you're either on one side or the other. Like that's what it, where, where most conversations were for people discussing it. And I was on one that I usually wait. Like I I did my draft, and looking back on it, I had um, a Felipe Vasquez in round seven, and Jose Alvarado who I was huge on in round eleven. And that was a massive bummer. So those are my two closers. And that just went out the window. I had Felipe Vasquez, who kind of turned it on towards the end before all his bad stuff happened. And I hope we never see him again. But he's gone. What got lucky for me, which got me a lot of ground when I fell so far, I finished sixth in saves with 63 saves. Um, but all things considered, with Alvarado and Vasquez out the gate, I was lucky enough to get Liam Hendricks. That was tremendous for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lucky one. It, it's a weird thing. I wanted to bring it up because there were so many different waiver wires. Like I remember one time I was – I had two different raised closers. I think we talked one time. There was like three options, and I, I had two of the three, and it wasn't the right one. And then there's always teams with, with different options out there. We know Will Smith was a late draft pick that was huge. You can find saves basically. How would you – like I, I'm pretty much going to wait. I don't want to wait too long because in the two early mocks, they still went faster than I thought they would but it's looking at the saves landscape this year and trying not to overreact like most of us will. How do you think, you know, going into a draft, you mentioned don't pay for closers. What do you, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I just think that like on a year to year basis, we've seen that there's just a ton of variance in reliever performance. They're working with smaller samples. um, And it's really hard when you draft them high for them to return value. Now, taking a couple steps back, backward, like each league is different. Right. And when when I give my analysis, a lot of times it's coming from the 15 team kind of NFBC centric uh, vantage point. And so each league is going to be different, like depending, you know, like points leagues are going to be different uh, so on and so forth. But um, for me, like I never, I never, it's not like a hard and fast rule, but I generally don't draft a closer in the top, you know, 100. Like this year I was targeting guys like Essentially, whoever was in that second tier of closers that had some um, guarantee that they were pitching, you know, that they were going to be in the closer role, but maybe weren't like the the most sought after player, like had some injury history. Like I ended up with Sean Doolittle. Um, I also got some guys that were, I think, lost some value because they were seen as guys who were going to be traded. I think Alex Colomay was there. People weren't necessarily sure if it was going to be him or Kelvin Herrera, but it seemed pretty clear towards the end of the off season that it was going to be him with the save chances. So there was him. Um, Will Smith was a guy who was discounted because he was going to be traded. And I think one of the things is guys like that who aren't on teams that are very good, who, are, who may not get the full season, I actually really like picking up guys like that because it gives you some certainty at the beginning of the season where you're not just like chasing saves and chasing saves because we all remember like Hunter Strickland going for... Uh, or I guess then maybe that was last year, like, or no, I I can't, I can't remember like whoever the closer was this year, who started going for like 250, you know, like Jacob Barnes when, when Kniebel went down or whatever it was like, you know, where there's just these massive bids. You don't want to be in a situation where you feel that way, but I feel like the, the bullpen situation in a lot of cases, the way that there's a lot of uncertainty is actually an opportunity. If you really do some deep diving on, bullpen usage skills, and you think about the context of what the incentives are for the team. So like an example would be this year for like the Angels, you know, um, Hansel Robles and Buttry were kind of like there once Greg Holland lost the gig. Um, and, you know, I had been watching to see what the usage was like, and it was pretty 50-50. But knowing that Buttrey like a young guy, and so the incentives financially are for them to go with the guy who's already got like the big league contract in Robles, And the fact that Robles and Buttry were both pitching pretty well, like Buttry was going for a lot more. And so I put in low bids on Robles. I think I got him for like eight bucks in a bunch of leagues. And so like, that's an example where if it doesn't work out, then you just like toss Robles, you know, to the waiver wire. But if it does work out, it can really work out. And even with Liam Hendricks, like, I think I got him for 30 bucks or something like that in my league, people were down on fab by the time he was going. And people were like, oh, well, Trinan will be back in a couple weeks. And so it wasn't necessarily sure, but if you looked at Hendricks's skills over the last like 15 games, I think I tweeted about it when he went on the waiver wire, like they were insane. Like they were just out of this world. Good. And so seeing that, like, that's a risk that I'm willing to take. And so I think if you can get like that deep in the weeds on some of these bullpen situations, there's some real value to be had that it's a lot harder to figure that out with like a starting pitcher or, you know, with it, with, you know, hitters it's sometimes possible, but like, I just feel like closers, so much of the value is in the role as opposed to what the pitcher is actually doing, that that by doing those types of speculations, like it's one opportunity to get value that doesn't exist in different places in the draft or on the waiver wire. And so I'm fine having a little bit of that uncertainty and then just speculate on a bunch of closers end of the season. Like, you know, like Shane Green, I didn't want to touch him, right? He was terrible, but he had the role. And a lot of times we say draft skill over roles. But he was going like around two thirty and eighty P and it was like, ah, oh, well, like take a shot on a guy who might get you like a handful of saves and and hope that the rest of your pitching staff can can do well. But what we saw is like over a short period of time, like even Shane Green can be a good pitcher. And so um that I think is my kind of takeaway is not paying for closers and and waiting a little bit longer, even missing out on that second um you know, second wave of closures and looking for some right. guys as long as I know that I'm, I'm going to be looking for some speculative ads throughout the season.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think like a, a big part of that is just knowing that the start that when you're drafting, if the guy's got the job, the guy's got the job. So let's not critique him because like most of us said, Shane Green can't pitch so on and so forth. Well, he had the job, but he got the job done. So as bad as it is, and I trust me, I'm one of the first to tell you, I don't like Shane Green at all. And it proved Proved me right in Atlanta. In Detroit, he pulled Miracle. I have no idea. So there's a lot to be said about stuff like that. Going into this year also, I know there's a ton of talk about getting starting pitchers early. And and I've talked about it on many shows how I've never been a guy to go too crazy on starting pitchers. In years past, I've slowly developed into it. TGFBI, round two, I took Garrett Cole. Round three, I took Carlos Carrasco. That sucked. I got a discount in round nine on Madison Bumgarner. I love that. People thought I was crazy then. At round nine, that was great. But look at the rest of my pitching. You know, Keichel, Musgrove, Derek Holland, Samarja, Merrill Kelly. was the guys I, I rotated the rest of my rotation round. I picked up guys like Max Fried and a few others. But moral of the story is I went Cole Carrasco early. Most guys had at least two pitchers. Most, not all, had one to two aces, quote, unquote, leaving the first round. I know you, for instance, you already talked about getting Cole and Snell right out the gate. You're a mega – pitchers early guy ace is early guy because it gets real murky after that as, as spore and the guys say you get the glob after that where it's really nasty you have to get lucky and hit the jack flaherty's the beavers those kind of guys and not get screwed over by the bowers and some of the others now when you're saying that you need to draft aces can you elaborate on what differentiates you in having those big aces what that does for your team
0: yeah, I mean, I just think that, like, in today's pitching environment, especially where, like, bad pitchers can be really, really bad, like, I just think that having an ace sets you, having at least one ace sets you up really well. And in a lot of my teams, I went two aces, and sometimes it didn't work out, right? I drafted Sale, I drafted Bowers, and, you know, that's on me. Like, but actually, that team, if Sale hadn't gotten injured, like, that team would have been in a lot better shape. It was actually – you know, after the mediocre start by both of those pitchers, like having sale injured was kind of the, I think the death knell on that team. But the reason why I love going one ACE and I really love going two ACEs back to back to start is that it really sets up your entire pitching staff, right? Like everything that you do beyond that is gravy. As long as you can put together a slightly better than league average pitching staff on the whole, after you get like a really good ace or two really good aces is it sets you up. And so like, like, for instance, like heading into this year, um, I put together this um, this spreadsheet and essentially like what I did is I broke, broke down the monetary value of each player, right? Like based on the projections Um, there's an awesome tool that uh, Tanner uh, Bell uh, at smart fantasy BB puts together that made it super easy for me to do. So I created the monetary value, but then I was also interested, like I tried to figure out, okay, how much of, what percentage of each category does a player's contributions in that category make? And essentially like the best starting pitchers, like um, have the biggest impact overall on your ability to win um, a league, like, uh, you know, max, you know, heading in. So it's like, The most that any one player, according to the projections heading into this year, could have on your team was 15.8%, essentially like 15.8% of what of the value that you need to finish in the top 90% in each category, like Mookie Betts, that's what he was projected to get was 15.8%. And then for the pitchers, you had like Scherzer at 18.2%. Sale at 19.7%, DeGrom at 18.7%, Verlander at 15.4%, you know, so on and so forth. And so like, they can just have a much bigger impact on your team because of the strikeouts that they provide because of the stabilizing impact that they have on your ratios, like all of that stuff, you obviously need to hit on them. But I actually like having two because it allows you to be able to hit on only one of them. And like have the other guy become a reasonably good pitcher like Blake Snell was. And again, like I don't want to base all of this just on one league, but like, I really love uh, that idea because I think it then allows you to go like hitter, 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 and then go after some of the like, you know, guys in like the 150 uh, range in ADP, maybe pick up a closer during that period of time. But even with the closer that then allows you to have closures that don't have the best ratios because you have these ratio foundations in your starting pitchers again obviously it needs to work out but like when i look at all of my teams that did like really well you know they all had an ace um and i think that's a lot in in a lot of instances the case with some of the teams that finished higher up in uh, in the standings and um you know and so i just think that that is so so critical in today's game because i think we get caught into thinking like oh We're great drafters. We can see via value. We can identify value. But the research that's been done by folks like Ariel Cohen and others shows that like those aces have the best return um, on their value. Um, And so, you know, I'm big on aces, you know, even with um, my last point, because I'll talk and talk and talk is like, even after uh, Christian Yelich put together one of the best seasons in fantasy baseball history, you know, at least like from just like a overall stats angle, you know, so did Ronald Acuna. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander finished $6 and $9 ahead of them, according to the auction calculator on Fangraphs graphs uh, this year in value. So despite that, those two pitchers were able to actually be the most valuable players in fantasy because of what they contribute to their teams. And I think for that reason, and because there's this, like, like you mentioned, Paul Spores says, like there's this glob of pitchers that nobody knows really who's going to do that. Well, like you have some guesses, but, it just, you know, for every Shane Bieber, there's a Joe Musgrove, right? Um, and, so, um, yeah. and so for that reason, like I'm really going to focus at least in 15 team leagues on going ace heavy. And it may be, depending on where I draft, that it's like, you know, if I draft towards the very front of the draft, it may be hitter, pitcher, pitcher, because I think there's going to be some decent guys that are left over. But I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if once draft time comes around, depending where he ends up, if Garrett Cole isn't the number one player on my board, even if I have the first uh, pick in the draft.
1: Wait, you would take Cole number one or you just have ranked
0: number one? Uh, I think I might be in a position where I would take Cole number one over those mm-hmm. other guys.
1: Wow. Well, this could be a discussion we can have later in the year because I, I have a million questions on that now. But we will we can discuss that this offseason because I think landing place will be a big part of uh, that Absolutely. for you. I hope he but, ends up with your Giants, like I tweeted out. No, nah, that's not happening. <laughs> I, it really isn't. I, I, if it happens, I would be thoroughly shocked because it seems completely different than what uh, they want to do with this rebuilding process. He's going to Anaheim. That's what makes the most sense. So um, we'll see. We'll see. That's an interesting one to uh, to discuss. But Cole number I, one, like I, 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 I think, think he Cole ends up. I think he ends up back in Houston. Well, that would be even better. Someone told me I was a fool for thinking that, and I was like. That makes the most sense to me, you know, DeGrom's got a couple years left, right? He's got like a year. This gives you an ace for a while. It makes too much sense not to bring him back. But um, I just feel like they they're in such a good position with some
0: of their hitting prospects where they can keep costs low by true. investing most of their money in there and it's not like they're a really a small market franchise, you know. And I completely I, agree. I, just, I just wonder if he takes a little bit less money to To go to Houston because, like, man, I just see that team playing, and they just seem to enjoy playing so much. They're going to continue winning a bunch. And I think in Anaheim, like, it's a little bit more of a question about, like, yes, adding Garrett Cole vaults them into playoff contention, but like, do, do you really think even with Cole that they win the division over the over the course. Astros? I mean, yeah. like, it's still. Still, still a major question mark to me. So I think it'll be super interesting where he lands. I just really don't want Cole to end up with the Yankees. That's like – No, that'd be miserable. Yeah, Yankees, Boston, any of those would be Bob. miserable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that'd be so, horrible. Yeah. I, I'd love him to stay in Houston. The window is there for them to make quite the little dynasty there, like you said, with all the young hitting they have. You keep the pitching together like that, that could be freakishly good. Really good stuff there. So I'd be a big fan of that. Another topic you were discussing is don't pay for mid-range power. And I'm really curious about this because I get the idea of you want big power backs, but in the bouncy ball era, it seemed like there really wasn't – it was hard to define mid-range power uh, if you really wanted to because there were so many 20-plus, so many 30-plus home run guys this year. Like in, in TGFBI, I finished first in homers at three sixty-four in our league. Um, you know, Josh Bell, Matt Olson, those guys helped a ton with that uh but what's your what's your thoughts on this I'm really curious to see what you mean by not paying for mid range power like what kind of guys are you talking about
0: yeah i mean what what I'm really talking about is guys who their who their major tool or like their calling card at least after this season is is like twenty to thirty home run power like there's just so many guys that are producing that that if you get a profile of a guy who, especially somebody who hasn't really hit for a ton of power before, you know, so they may be hurt a little bit by the, by the ball. Like, um, uh, let's see, let me just like identify um, some guys. Well, like a good example would be, well, he's got a little bit of speed. Well, like Reese Hoskins, right? Reese Hoskins is a guy, he's not gonna give you speed, right? He's not gonna give you batting average. Like, what he's giving you is counting stats and the home runs. Like, essentially, these three-category contributors. Um, okay. Like, I see what you're saying now. Yeah, guys like that. I mean, like, even guys like uh, Daniel. So, Cole. like, the,
1: the power version of a rabbit.
0: Yeah, in, in some respects, but not like not like an elite power guy, right? Like, there's, there's, Pete, yeah. there's Pete Alonso. There's, like, Pete Alonso power. Right, and then there's all these guys that are like between 20 and 30 home runs, you know. Yeah, so like, yeah, yeah. you know, your Luke Voits of the world, your um, uh, I'm just going through uh, the list of home run leaders, um, you know, just guys who are not Mike Yastrzemski's, yeah, who are not, yeah, just like um, I'm doing a terrible job. Even guys like Hunter Dozier, who's like my guy. Right, like who's not going to be a batting average value or a stolen base value. I just feel like those guys are going to be so, like you can find those guys as long as they're in a position where they're going to get plate appearances. And so valuation models should factor that in as you're thinking about them. But I just think that like, you know, like even trying to shy away from even looking at home runs like at that point in time, um, you know, because I just feel like there's so many guys that can produce that now with this ball that we have and Jeff uh, Zimmerman had a good article where he's kind of talking about what to expect and like based on news reports it sounds like major league baseball is going to change the ball but it sounds like the most likely time for that is 2021 and not 2020 and so they've done crazier things before so it's certainly possible but i think it's also like an insurance policy against them changing the ball where like guys who have never shown power before who are now in like the 20 to 30 range like if you don't have a ton of them on your team then if the ball is turned back into a normal ball like you aren't hurt as much because those are the guys that really benefit a lot from like from the happy fun ball. So I don't know. It's not like a totally formulated thought yet, and I have to come up with better examples. But it's just making sure that more than ever, like you're looking to get guys who contribute in um, batting average or stolen bases, like one of those two things at least, until you get pretty deep into the into the draft.
1: No, I get what you're saying. Now spore and I were talking about this the other day. It's if, say, they, they change the ball back, it's like, okay, if you draft this guy and he has a 10 to 15% reduction in home runs, are you still okay? So the mediocre power guys you're discussing, that would hurt your team quite a bit. The big-time power guys, you'll still be just fine type idea. So yeah. I, I see what you're saying now.
0: Yeah, okay. and I think it, I think it's also like I don't think that 15% just just is a blanket statement on everyone. I think there's guys who yeah, no, have no, enough no, no, power yeah. where they don't need that, that extra oomph but then I think there's a lot of yeah. guys who do need a little bit of that extra oomph, and that's guys that will fall in that kind of 2030 home run range who haven't really done it before, who don't, who haven't done it consistently yeah. with the different ball.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. That, that makes a lot more sense. I was I was curious for a second there cause I'm like, you know, there's so many of these, these mid guys that, that do so much, but now, now it makes more sense what you're trying to say there. All right. Any final thoughts uh, on the season? There's, there, there's a million things we could probably discuss, but, I'm ready to hit the uh, the awards show unless you have uh, any other thoughts.
0: No, I, we will have plenty of time to share draft thoughts moving forward. And I'll have better articulated kind of versions of these arguments that I'm making right here that aren't just like me responding with, you know, 24 hours since the season ended.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. This is all this fun reflection, plenty of time this offseason. And now let's do some awards. And this, there's so many ways to do this. This could be just flat out. You know, Ronald Acuna Jr. was just dominant this year. Or it was, hey, this guy gave us so much value. He deserves this award. There's so many ways to go. with. It. There's really not many wrong answers. Everyone can have their own opinion on who the best was. So that's what makes this fun. So we'll have some fun here. We'll talk about some awards. We'll do some all-stars and wrap up the show. But your fantasy MVP, Toby, there's so many ways you can go with this. Who would your fantasy MVP be this season?
0: Yeah, this is a tough one. I considered a lot of players here. And what I'm really looking at in fantasy MVP is value. Like who returned the most value um, over the course of the of the season for guys who were drafted late? Because that's really what wins you championships, right? So some of the guys I thought about, DJ LeMayhew, he was ADP of 312. Um, from a um, evaluation standpoint, what did he finish at? he finished as like a 20 a close to 30 dollar player I think um and so he was a consideration Kettle Marte uh, was a consideration at um you know ADP of 227 with the season that he put together Marcus Semien was another one at ADP of 240 Jorge Soler at 313 Pete Alonso was at an ADP around 250 but I think if I had to go with one guy who would be kind of a fantasy um, MVP. I think that I am going to go with Ketel Marte. And that's because what pushes him over the top, like um, uh, DJ LeMahieu, was great. Like he did an amazing job. Um, I think what puts it over for me is the combination of batting average at 329, which is a very scarce category these days. And then the 10 stolen bases to go along with 32 home runs, 97 runs and 92 RBI. So, not only was he providing incredible value, but he was doing so in the two scarcest categories. So, I'm going to go with Kettle Marte, and I think Marcus Simeon will be a close second for me. How about you?
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with any of those. I had many of those names written down uh, Pete Alonso, Marte, Simeon, I had those three written down for sure, but I had a fourth one, and I'm going to take Jonathan VR. Um, he finished, he was drafted 76th. I was huge on him coming into the year. I have him in pretty much every league I could have him in that I didn't get sniped on him on. He didn't quite have the draft value, per se, that uh, you guys might have had at some of his other picks. He did, according to the Rasball Player Raider, was 10th overall, averaging about $32.50 come season's in, which Mm. is crazy to think about when you think Cattell Marte, of all people, which is is pretty wild. And then when you just look at his overall stats, um, he he really, really brought it uh, this season – when it comes to steals and um, the big thing was the power. Now that could be the bouncy ball, like we discussed. But with with Johnny VR playing in Baltimore, where he's going to be able to run like crazy, and we'll see we'll see where he's at. Uh, he's, he goes back with him next year, probably gets traded. But you know, he finished with a 274 batting average, which was outstanding. Twenty four home runs, forty stolen bases, getting that kind of production in you know seventy six picks. So you carry the one. That's like. Um, Late round five, early round six, getting forty stolen bases and twenty four home runs. That with an average, that doesn't kill you. He scored one hundred eleven runs. Even drove in seventy three. I'm gonna go with Johnny VR as my fantasy MVP. Nice. All right, who is who is your fantasy Cy Young award winner? Well, how about that?
0: I'll let you go first this time, Beba. That way, okay. I, If I if if we have the same one,
1: I don't I don't steal your. Oh, it. Right. No, it never it never matters if we have the same one. That means great minds think alike. Yeah. But um, the one I'm going with, and this is more to kind of say I screwed up, and I'm a man of my. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it more next week. But Shane Bieber, I'm mm. going with him as the Cy Young. Like Garrett Cole to me is the real life Cy Young Award winner. If, if people pick Verlander, I get it, totally justifiable. But when it comes to to Shane Bieber, a guy that was drafted. Much later than people like the, the hype train was there. But end of draft season, he wasn't like super crazy, but like in, from March from March first to, to April first in NFBC, he went pick one twenty six. So he got some helium. But you know, if you drafted in February, you got him at a discount. He finished the year worth almost twenty four bucks according to Rasball Player Raider. And what Bieber did is he shut me up basically. He threw two hundred fourteen innings. He, he made thirty four starts, fifteen wins. Struck out almost 11 batters per nine. A 3 2 ERA with a x fit wasn't wasn't much of a fluke. And he was just pure dominant. I really didn't think he had the strikeout stuff to make it. Looking at some of his minor numbers, I didn't think it was there. But the swing and miss was there. He started locating more. We've heard Nick Pollock talk about it much better than I can. Paul Sport, two, two pitching gurus, can describe what Bieber did differently. Way better than I can. And it's all about location and just using the stuff you have to your ability, not just using it to, you know, like Nick Pollock talks about it a lot with, with Syndergaard. What bothers him the most is dominant stuff. And he almost starts pitching to contact when he doesn't need to pitch to contact. There's two different times. There's a time to pitch to contact and a time not to Syndergaard doesn't do it right. Bieber executes it perfectly. And that's just the difference between the two. And Syndergaard's test play a million times better than Bieber's Bieber just knows how to use his, like, he's like a modern day Greg Maddox to me. Just this season, it could change a lot. But what I saw him do this year with the stuff he has, which is very hittable when he's off, was very, very impressive to me. Like He still gave up 1.3 home runs per nine. So when he was in the zone, he got hit. That didn't change. His Babbitt was much lower this year. That could be changed next year. But for me, I'll go with Shane Bieber. I had some other options there. I know some of them are the same you had. I had G. Lito. The other option was Lance Lynn. I almost gave it to Lance mm. Lynn for what he did, for where you drafted him. But I'm giving it to Bieber. Who do you have?
0: Yeah, it was it was a tough one. I thought about Hinjin Ryu um at one seventy-five. I thought about Sunny Gray um at two sixty-eight. Uh both had just incredible, incredible seasons. Um, but I have to go with my boy, and that is Lucas Giolito, ADP of five seventy five. Um, finished up uh this year. Um Uh, just, I mean, he pitched like after March, after, after April, like he was just, um, absolutely, um, dominant. Um, and you know, he, nobody paid really anything for him, right? Like he just kind of came out of the blue and the skill growth that he had, um, was just unbelievable. Like he finished with a $19 season, um, despite missing, you know, the last few weeks of the season and those struggles earlier on in the year, but that changeup is dominant. The slider's great. Uh, the fastball is, was one of the more dominant fastballs in baseball this year. I think it gained two ticks. So I think everything about him is real. And I think if you had him on your team, you essentially had an additional ace uh, that you got off the waiver wire. And I was fortunate to have him in in all three of my, my biggest leagues. And so I'm going to go with the homer pick of, of Lucas Giolito. There's plenty of Um, Very, um, uh, very uh, deserving candidates, but that's going to be my fantasy Cy Young for the year.
1: Yeah, there's no arguing that one at all. He was once he made that um, complete game shutout in Houston and took Twitter by storm and the world by storm. He was just a different man. Like he had confidence out there. He kind of had a little swagger to him on the mound. Like he was, he was filthy. It was awesome to see. So I can't fault you there at all. Let's go rookie of the year. It was a fun year, fun year for rookie of the the year. You can't really go wrong here because most of them weren't taken too early to be called, you know, non-values. But there's a ton of good options here. Who is your rookie of the year? Um, my
0: rookie of the year, um, I think Pete Alonso is kind of the obvious choice, and you know he probably deserves it. But going with my my Quetel Marte theme. I think I was looking for the guy who contributed the most in some of the um, scarce categories. And so I actually am gonna go with Fernando Tatis. And the caveat that I'll put in there is just considering what he gave you uh, while he was healthy. Um, So he gave you a 317 batting average, 22 home runs and 16 stolen bases. And then when you factor in, you know that he was out for a good chunk of the season, but that you get to add in replacement value for his replacement. I mean, you're looking at even with like a terrible replacement guy, you're looking at a 30-20 season. And for me, uh, along with the high batting average, that's more valuable um, to a fantasy roster than uh, what Pete Alonzo. So. Mets fans will probably hate me, um, and I know that Mets fans are really smart, so there's a lot of them that listen to this podcast. Um, but I'm going to go with Fernando Tatis Jr. as uh, as my fantasy rookie of the year.
1: I think that's a great play. It's going to be fun to see where he goes in next year's draft. Um, I think Eloy Jimenez was very valid, uh, viable, especially with the September he had. I think a sneaky one could have been Oscar Mercado. He was kind mm-hmm. of the, the lost man in Fabapalooza finish with 15 homers and 15 stolen bases. Getting that off the waiver wire. We talked about earlier strategy-wise playing the wire and everything. You sneak a guy like Oscar Mercado that late in the year. That's that's tremendous. That, that's outstanding. So imagine what a full season of Mercado could do. But I'm going to take the easy way out. I, it's Pete Alonso for me. What he did, I didn't see coming. I wasn't a believer like everybody else was. Um, 53 home runs. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't care juice ball or not. Like that, that is that's game changing. That is absolutely insane. When you really look at it all, he um when when you look at uh, the the player rater for Pete Alonzo, he finished. I believe it was. I got it right here. He finished on seventeenth uh, overall. He was worth almost twenty nine bucks. And then when you look at the uh, the NFPC, he even in just March through April, he was still going to pick two hundred two. So, like, the, the the helium was coming, but they not everyone was a believer. Like, it, you, they weren't all there yet on Pete Alonzo. Pick that month. So, I'll take the easy way out. I'll take Pete Alonzo. Uh, but you can't go wrong with with Fernando. Get hurt. What could have been with that man? And, like, another another guy we didn't mention, Chris Paddock. Dude was absolutely filthy. Mm-hmm. Like, he could easily have been on the list. There, there were some very, yeah. very good – very good rookies.
0: Yeah, I actually had Mike Soroka as my um, as my fantasy pitcher rookie of the year. That's who I was going to go with. Um, probably mostly because I'm very biased against uh, Chris Paddock, but uh, Soroka <laughs> actually out out earned Paddock, according to the uh, the auction calculator at least with that two six eight uh, ERA and one eleven WHIP um and then uh the 13 wins was certainly helpful as well but um yeah a lot of you know not quite uh last year when it came to rookies i think but um just uh the game is in very good hands with the young talent that's coming up
1: yeah no doubt about it let's talk about some more achievers this year well next week's the downer episode so we'll do the the upper episode right now let's go all-stars and there's when you have this many good players So many ways to go on this one. There's going to be so many we miss out on. And a lot of it probably will be homer based because they had a big impact on what we did. So let's start out with the catcher's position. Who is your fantasy all-star?
0: Well, you know, I play two catcher leagues mostly. So I am going to choose two folks here. And with the all-stars, I'm going to bypass the whole value discussion and I'm going to go with the players that I think uh, were the best. And I'm going to go with JT Real Muto and, um yasmani grandal as my one two and then an honorable mention to mitch garver and christian vasquez what about you
1: yep i love it uh real muto would have been number one as well i'm gonna go mitch garver as my number two talking about a guy that came out of nowhere to basically lead it was him and gary sanchez leading catchers and home runs that's uh pretty crazy when you sit there and think about that coming into the season that mitch garver was second on home runs i don't think many people would have uh would have agreed with you on that one going into the year. So I'll take uh I'll take Ria Muto and Garver. Great. quick first, question.
0: How yeah. many stolen bases do you think Yasmani Grandal have this year?
1: I saw this earlier, like all oh, a couple of weeks ago, so I'm gonna to have to like foreshadow 13. No, he's way under that. He's at five. I thought but, he had double um, digits for some he's reason. Like, he's
0: like one of the slowest dudes alive, so that kind of gave him a little bit of a bump over over Garver for me, but I, Mitch Garver, and I'm also like he was on the te- the team that was right on my tail in the main event, and so I had a lot of nightmares that involved Mitch Garver down the spread the stretch, especially because he was just crushing it. So that's a great pick.
1: Yeah, no, Garver was uh, one of the surprises this year. Let's go to first base. I'm going to start this one off because this one was it was tougher for me than I thought it would be. Freddie Freeman was easy. Like I, I have to go Freeman. I think everyone. Anyone that doesn't go Freddie Freeman, I would love to hear the argument behind that one because it was crazy. The second one for me, and there's I like almost every one you put down there. Trey Mancini's near and dear to my heart. He was one of my mm-hmm. massive value picks this year. I did not pick him, so I apologize to Trey Boo Boo. But um, my <laughs> <Trey> second, <Boo-Boo. laughs> my second first baseman. And it really sucks he kind of fell off in the second half, but I'm going Josh Bell. What he did in the first half, I know we need a full season. That would be great. The end of the season stats are still phenomenal. That's all that matters at the end of the season. Um, if he could have put it together in the second half, what could have been. But I'm going to go Josh Bell, give the boys some credit. But uh, Trey Mancini is a good one. One of your other guys I have at corner infield, so I'll save that for later. Who are your okay, first bases Yeah, I went with Freddie
0: Freeman for sure, and then uh, Cody Bellinger. I have him at first base instead of outfield. Outfield is – is so deep, especially since we have a three-man outfield for our all-star team. And so with with that being the case, um, if it was a five-man outfield, I, there, I'd probably slide Bellinger into the outfield position. But I'm going to have Bellinger and, and Freeman as first baseman, honorable mention to DJ LeMay, Hugh, Pete Alonzo, Jose Abreu, and your boy, Trey Bubu Mancini. Yes.
1: Trey Boo Boo. I love that man. Um, let's uh, Bellinger I got later on. I I agree. If we want to add some more outbooters, we can to uh to mix it up because such a deep position. But let's go to second base. This is a fun one, and we have some similar ones here, I have a feeling, because it was uh some of the big boys are right here. Who do you have at second base? All right, for second base, I have your boy Jonathan
0: VR and then Ketel Marte um as my other second baseman. An honorable mention to uh, my 2020 uh, love of my
1: life, uh, Ozzie Albies, is uh, is my yes. honorable mention there. You know, Ozzie Albies, quietly, like I don't have the, all the numbers in front of me, had such a solid second half of the season. And it all correlated by moving him back to the top of the order. It was amazing what happened when you put him right behind Acuna, because Swanson was up there until he got hurt. And then when Swanson came back, they kept Albies up there, and he uh, he tore it up. So that was a, a big second half of Bleak carries that over. But for me, I have Johnny VR. Obviously, I have to have Johnny VR a second. That's tough for me not to. But mine was one that I kept waiting for the other shooter to drop, and it never did. And I'm glad it didn't because it shut up all the haters that said he could not hit outside of Colorado. DJ LeMahieu who hit 327 on the year with 26 home runs, it was impressive. He only struck out thir- almost 14% of the time. The dude was really, really right. good. Like, amazing player. I can't wait to see what happens with him this next year. So... I'll go DJ Lemayhu at second base as well. Who is your shortstop?
0: Um, Shortstop's so deep this year. Um, But uh, I got to go with uh, Trevor Story and uh, Alex Bregman. Uh, Every inch, every ounce of my body wanted to go with uh, Xander Bogarts as one of the two. But I think those two are clearly just um, dominant uh, players. Um, but my honorable mentions go to Xander Bogarts, Jonathan VR, Marcus Semien, and then uh, Tim Anderson, who I think, um, you know, a lot of people next year are going to be expecting some heavy regression, which I think they should, but I think that that, and his just terrible plate discipline may have them not paying the the right price for a guy who, when healthy is going to give you a decent batting average, even with heavy regression, um, in an improving lineup and go 2020. And I think there's a lot of value in that. So I just wanted to give him a little bit of a shout out at the shortstop position too. He's also it's a great a dominant bat flipper.
1: He's a great bat flipper. He should be, yeah, he should definitely be on team bat flip. There's no, there's no hiding that one. Sure. Uh, probably one of the best, best bat, bat flips out there. And I was so happy when I saw he won the batting title this season. Uh, two years ago in TGFBI I took him with my last pick and people thought I was crazy and it still worked out well. I liked him this year, but with the depth of shortstop, it just didn't work out. I was on the In This League podcast early in the season with Bogman and the Welsh. And one of the guys we talked about, because Anderson got off to a hot start yet again, and they were asking me how I felt on him. And I've always been a big Anderson fan. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe the bad average comes down, but the power's legit. I still, I'm like, I still think he's like a 280 hitter. And They're like, oh, you're yeah. crazy. I'm like, no, he's not that bad. Like people forget another guy, not not going to say the same as Giuliano, but it's the same concept that these guys were top prospects at one time. Some guys develop at different times. Like we got to take that into consideration. Is he going to win a batting title next year? Probably not. Not many people do that back-to-back seasons. But like you said, if the price is right, because, you know, you got a med Rosario, you got Jorge Polanco, you got a ton of good shortstops. Like the, like you said, the position is deeper than ever. It's crazy. How many shortstops are out there, so you're going to get Tim Anderson at a discount, and it's going to be fun to uh, see what that discount is.
0: Definitely. yeah, and he had some major short... he had some major gains, like almost uh, yeah. over three percent increase in contact. he's cut his K rate um, so even his projection now is like for a 276 batting average, which in today's game is well above it's outstanding a average yeah, so um, okay, all right your um, you're shortstop.
1: My shortstop, I love the Bregman call. Uh, no problem there. I took him in barf with one of my early picks. We talked about him on that February day, how much we both liked him and his, his upside, and he, his second half was killer. You know, The little man finished with 41 homers and hit 296. Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. But my main guy, and this might just be a bias to me, I've always loved him, and it finally came through. We've talked about him a few times on this pod already, but Marcus Simeon is my all-star shortstop. 33 homers, 283 average, 10 stolen bases, 123 runs scored, and drove in 92. Um, It doesn't even have to do with the value you got him drafting, which you talked about earlier. But I'll take Marcus Simeon as my shortstop. I know it's a little different, but it's so deep, I can make arguments for a lot of these guys.
0: And and one thing on Simeon is um, the plate discipline, the Mm -hmm. metrics. Like his walk rate and K rate are almost even. Yep. And then I think in the second half he was probably close to having a higher walk walk rate. He was twelve point seven to fourteen point two. Just incredible grain, gains. I love that pick.
1: Yeah, and the way he was mashing, especially lefties. My gosh, it was it was awesome. Hopefully, uh, the wild card game should be fun with them in the Rays. Third base, who do you have? Uh, so this was this just, was just a little. Say, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say we Go. have the same picks.
0: Okay. <laughs> Uh, so let's get out of the way, uh, Raphael Devers and Anthony Rendon, um, are going to be my two, um, two all-star picks at third base honorable mention to Alex Bregman, but he's in the team at shortstop. So not as honorable, um, you know, Devers, he's not a guy, I think that I'll own a lot of places next year. I just am not sure whether that speed that he showed earlier in the season is, is sustainable. Um, it really fell off, and he was caught stealing a bunch of times towards the end of this this year. So um, that I don't necessarily buy, but an incredible young hitter. And then Anthony Rendon, the heart and soul of my uh, NFBC team, he just played well. And also my um, 20-team Real Fake Dynasty League uh, that I have with Smata and um, uh, Walter and then Max Freeze. Max finished in second. He led the uh, he led that team to victory as well. So Rendon was a big part of my success this year, so I'm going to go with him too.
1: There's nothing wrong with Rendon. He was so damn good. I know that uh, we'll talk about someone else in a little bit, and I'll bring the comparison up there. But Rendon was amazing. The Nationals are reportedly going to offer him seven years, 210 mils, so and 30 mil a year, which tells you exactly what they think. If we remember the free agent market this last year, 30 million a year is pretty darn good these days. Mm-hmm. So... Um, they love Rendon. He's a beast, keeps getting better and better. So I love love both those calls. And the Devers thing, we'll talk about him more this offseason when we d- dig into these positions. I just really hope people aren't drafting him for stolen bases. Like, I'll, I'll expand more on that later, but you aren't drafting this little munchkin for stolen bases. Just remember that. Like, that's not the goal with this man. You know, like, people are going to see it and they're going to think that. You're not drafting him for stolen bases. Just whatever he gets for your stolen bases is gravy. Um... Mine's Devers and Rendon, like you said. We'll go to middle infielder. I'll say mine real quick. It's actually two guys you already mentioned earlier. It's Cattell Marte. It's Trevor Story. Those would be my two guys there. You could have put them in there and flipped someone else down to middle infielder. Either way, but I always I know Story has great years. I always forget just how great they are until I look at his stat line. Again, 20-plus stolen bases yet again, 35 home runs, almost hit for 300. The dude's crazy good. And then, yeah, Quetel Marte, we've talked about him a ton already. He's a beast. It'll be fun to see where he goes next year. So who's your middle infielders?
0: Well, I could not have a a team without Xander Bogarts um, in it. Uh, He ended up being a top 15. I think he was 15th, at least according to the auction calculator, um, in terms of value this year. So got to have him in the team. I, I made my middle infield spot pretty large with Ozzie Albies and Marcus Semien also filling it just so that I could get them all into the, the team uh, in some way because I like to be inclusive. Um, so that, those are my middle infielders, but led by uh, Xander Bogarts.
1: Yep, don't hate that at all. Corner infield, who are your two corner infielders?
0: So with this one, I am going to go with uh, DJ LeMayhew, uh, one of your uh, first basemen, I believe. And then I'm also going to add Jose Abreu. Um, We have not mentioned him, or I guess I mentioned him among the honorable mentions at first base. You know, man, out of nowhere, he put together, I mean, not out of nowhere, but just when you look at the final stat line, you're like, I don't think I heard a single person talk about him. Finishes the year with uh, over 30 home runs, led the AL and RBIs on a team with like no OBP threats in front of him, which super confuses me. Um, maybe Johan Moncada, but he batted behind him for half of the year, and then um, so Abreu is there, and he also hit over 280. I think he's a guy that'll be a good uh, good draft day. Hopefully, we get a good draft day price next year. I expect him to be back with the White Sox, and I think they're going to be an improved lineup as well.
1: Who do you have as your yeah, uh, Bre- your, your CI? Oh, go ahead. Abreu is Abreu is one of mine. I am a huge fan of his. That was one of my sleeper article picks this year. Um, because they think he's old, and he's on the White Sox. So we will get him in a discount again next year. It will happen. It happened this year and shocked me, and we'll get him again next year. So huge Abreu fan. But my other corner infielder, somehow we have not mentioned him. He was a value pick, I guess, seventh or eighth, sixth or seventh round in TGFBI, and he beasted out this season. Sadly finished on 49 home runs, but Henio Suarez is another mm-hmm. corner infielder. 271, 49 homers, 87 runs scored, 103 RBIs. The dude does it year after year after year. And each year people think, no, nah, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Well, he does it again over and over and over again. So as long as he's in ballpark, he's going to be able to hit home runs like crazy. Ayo Henio Suarez, corner infield all-star. Nice. All right. Outfielders, we have the same three, in Acuna, Yellow, and Trout. Let's have some fun with it, if you don't mind shooting from the hip here. All right. You want to go three more outfielders that uh, aren't those three and not Cody Bellinger? Sure. Let's do it. All right. All right. Give me, give me, you go one. We'll go back and forth. One, 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 one.
0: Okay. Uh, My next one would be uh, the childish bambino himself, the love of Sammy Reed's life. Juan Soto has to be um, uh, the next outfielder off the board
1: or in our Uh, all star team, I guess. In all our star team, yes. If you took Childish uh, Bambino, I will take the free agent that's going to not be playing in Boston this next year and Mookie Betts. So Mm -hmm. um, give me Mookie. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Jared Carabas, who covers the Red Sox, he tweeted out a picture from a month ago for the season ticket plans for 2020, and Betts was one of the three players on it. And then the ones the Red Sox sent out like two days ago, Betts is not on the picture anymore. They photoshopped him out and put Eduardo Rodriguez in same picture. So I think that says pretty much everything the Red Sox plan on doing this offseason. One thing is they're not paying for Mookie Betts, but he is an all-star for me. Who's What what
0: an absolute travesty. Yes. He should be a Red Sox for life. I mean I like the Red Sox, you know, um they're kind of my family's team. But um, you know, if they let him go, a young player in his prime, one of the you know, from just an all around standpoint, three best hitters in the game um God, I don't know how you i can i don't know how you can do that, but oh well,
1: all right, who's your next one
0: well, this is i feel like it thins out a little bit with um with uh our buddy um with our buddy Cody Bellinger off the board, I've already mentioned Cattell Marte as my second baseman. So there's so many different ways to go. Let me just look at one thing. Um, this, you know, I think I'm going to have him up here. I'm going to have him as my my all-star outfielder, partially because he deserves it because he had a phenomenal season and partially because I'm just so damn happy that his manager and his pitching coach are likely – or his manager is definitely out and the pitching coach is probably likely to follow. No ill will towards them whatsoever. I just think that they were living in the past. And so I'm going to go with Starling Marte. Uh, 295 batting average, 23 home runs, 25 stolen bases, 97 runs, 82 RBI for a not very good Pirates team. I'm going to go with them. I, I well, I won't say who I met briefly thought about as well, but I just think that going back to batting average and stolen bases being the scarcest category, I think they, he just had a really uh, quite remarkable season. And so I'm going to go with Starling Marte.
1: I love Starling Marte, always a uh, value. So we'll see where that goes next year. Mine's going to be one that, you know, 265 ish average. Doesn't do much else but hit home runs. But he set a Kansas City Royal record this year. I'm going to go Jorge Soler. Jorge Soler, uh, he's a 24th player on the Razzball Player Raider, $26 value. He went like pick 265 overall. I'm going to give Jorge Soler an all-star nod this year.
0: Nice. That was the other guy I was thinking about. So I feel good that he got on our team as well. I feel very invested. In these players, um, in their <laughs> success after this, um, just a quick little bit on Jorge Soler's second half. Uh, in the second half, he had a fourteen point eight percent walk rate and a twenty three percent K rate. He dropped his K rate from the first half down nearly six points and almost doubled his walk rate, which is insane. Darn good. And, good. and when you look at the skills. I mean, the skills, the plate discipline improved dramatically. The contact rate uh, improved dramatically. Um, Man, uh, Theo Epstein is really good at trading uh, really good talent away.
1: (laughs) Yes, he is. My goodness. Man, they give him all the credit for building the Red Sox teams and getting the Cubs a title. But, man, Gleyber Torres, Eloy Jimenez, Jorge Soler – the list goes on and on, right? It's bad. It's bad. Who's your final outfield all-star?
0: Um, My final. Uh, oh, I think that's five, right? Cause we had our three and then we actually okay. tacked on, we tacked on
1: the other two. All right. Well, we'll, we'll leave it there then. I'm not prepared my to go any deeper than five. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> I, I'll have an honorable mention Austin Meadows. Oh, Austin Meadows. That's a great call. Great call. Yeah. All right. Who's your, yes, definitely. Who's your utility?
0: Oh man, my util. Um, I, if I, I'm going to have to go with, um, man, this is, this is tough. Who did I have in my util? Uh, before I had Soto and Betts as my utils heading into this conversation. We mixed it up a little bit. So I think what I'm going to do is put Marcus Semyon at UTIL. And that way I don't have a glut of middle infielders with Bogarts, Albies and Semyon. I just have two. And then Semyon is my UTIL. I'm going to go with that. But I think Jorge Soler would have been a really nice pick there too.
1: All right. I'm going, to go the, I'm going to go with the 39-year-old wonder in Nelson Cruz. The util of utils. Oh, man. Um, I can't believe Whoa, Nelly that. hit 311 with 41 home oh, runs. Oh, man. Nelson Cruz, pick. my all-star. What a pick,
0: Bubba. You just won. You just won the all-star competition <laughs> with that pick. I didn't even have Nelly on my radar. Oh, man. I'm terrible. 41 a 39 year teams. old Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> great, great Util pick. only. Yeah. I just want to go back to something I just said about Jorge Soler's contact rate and his um, – uh his O swing, um I lied. Um over the second half he did have a lower and higher, but they weren't
1: that out of
0: his three year range. And so I take back everything I said about
1: it. Oh I no, I agree. He's still a, a very good player though. Oh, so we're so, good. It's still amazing, there.
0: but I just didn't want to mislead any of our listeners into thinking that what I said was actually true. <laughs>
1: Ah, oh. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Let's talk starting pitcher real quick. Verlander, Cole, Flaherty, and Bieber, we all agree on. So that's four of the six. Wow. We agree on those four. There. You have two others. I have two others. Give me your first other one that we have. Like I said, Cole, Verlander, Flaherty, Bieber, we're both on the same page. There, all stars. Who's your next one? DeGrom. DeGrom's not on your list, huh? No, I was very picky. Like Degrom obviously deserves it. Young Degrom, wow. I know, I know. Take away everything that I said about your Nelly pick, Baba. Take away everything I
0: said.
1: Well, let's see what I have next. All right. So you got you got Degrom. Yeah. I took I took Strasburg. Strasburg. He threw over 200 innings this year. People thought he wasn't worth anything, and he gave everybody more than they could ever imagine from Steven Strasburg. So I'm going to Steven Strasburg giving him some credit where no one else wants to give him credit.
0: Okay, okay, I see that. I see that. All right, and my other guy, one? my other guy was Chuck Morton, the most interesting like man in in baseball. Um I, I I had to keep him on here. You know, I was struggling with that in a five-man rotation. I was struggling between him and um him and Bieber for my last slot here. Um, and thankfully, I was able to expand it to six starting pitchers to, to uh, simulate our uh, fantasy baseball world. And so uh, Charlie Morton gets on there. Just an incredible season. The whip, uh, the Ks, uh, the skills were strong um, and just anchored, really anchored that raise rotation when they really needed somebody um, to pick it up. So I went with Morton. Who is your,
1: your number six? Yeah, I've got no problem with Chucky Morton. And it pains me as a Giants fan, but out of all due respect, Walker Buehler is my sixth. The oh, kid right. was amazing. I didn't think he'd take the next step to this level, like the consistency to this level. You know, almost 50 more, like 45 more innings pitched this year, increased the strikeout rate. The guy was great, absolutely phenomenal. So Walker Buehler is my sixth. Well, um, when we that, is, it, that is a great yeah. pick.
0: That is a great pick. I can't believe you left Degrom out, though. So <laughs> I know. I the know. The Mets fans tough. are going to hate us. I left out Pete Alonzo, and you left out Degrom from your top six. My God, we're going to be getting yeah. a lot of hate mail, a lot of hate tweets,
1: and DMs. Uh, that's okay. Hey, it's sometimes bad publicity is good publicity, so they can bring it on. Yeah, I'll go, take it. There you go. That, uh,
0: that's the motto clearly- of our. That's a, that's the motto of
1: our podcast moving forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even even if we're wrong and you hate us and want to talk about it, we'll take it. It's okay. Yeah. Um we have three relief pitchers, Josh Hader, Kirby Yates. We agreed on those two. Those Ooh. are those those are good.
0: Hader and Yates. A the lot third
1: done. one I love your pick. Yeah, the third one I love your pick. I do too. I want it so what's your third one? Just cause I wanted to differentiate, but what's your third one?
0: Um my third one is Liam Hendricks. Um uh, you just hear her probably heard a really big, loud being in the background. That would be my computer. So Liam Hendricks, I didn't realize quite how incredible of a season he had. He was on my own darn really good team, and I didn't realize how good he was. 85 innings, 124 strikeouts, 25 saves in like half a season, it felt like. A 180 ERA, a .96 whip, even with a 311 Babbitt. Um, just an abs 31% K minus walk rate, um, 17% swinging strike rate. My God, that's good. All of it is beautiful. Uh, needed to have him in the team for sure. And who's your third?
1: Yeah, I, I don't fault you for Hendricks. Like I said earlier with TGFBI, he helped me tremendously, but my third, and it's a guy that helped you tremendously this year is just go Giants. Uh, he, he was outstanding, basically a K per inning, 34 saves, 276 ERA, six wins out of the closer position. I'll go Will Smith for a guy that basically wasn't drafted this year. Liam Hendricks wasn't drafted. Will Smith almost wasn't drafted. So we'll go that route.
0: Well, I, I right. cannot I cannot fault you for that pick. Will Smith was on a number of uh, quality teams, um, for me as well. And, uh, really, I mean, probably his best season to date with some of the numbers that he had, I mean, just absolutely incredible. Um, and they said he was going to get traded. They said he was going to get traded, Bubba,
1: but we didn't believe it. It goes back to your whole story of no, but it goes back to your story. Just take the guys that have the job. You never know. Cause that, that, that did factor into Will Smith's uh, draft day value. People didn't want to play with the traded game. So, and, and the giants are supposed to be garbage, but, a philosophy i've had forever in saves give me the garbage closer because if they do win 60 games most of them will be close games they're safe situations so roll that direction but um that'll wrap us up for episode nine my friend any final thoughts as we wrap up the season and we'll do more kind of looking back stuff here coming up but this is you know like you said we're, we're around 24 hours a little over 24 hours since the last out uh what any any final thoughts
0: no well i just want to um thank you bubba i know we we started out the bubba and the the podcast uh nine episodes again i have thoroughly enjoyed um chatting with you each monday tuesday wednesday uh night depending on when our our uh, when when power was going out and all of those things but um it's been a real pleasure and just to the listeners i just want to say thank you so much for uh listening to this podcast and listening to other podcasts that me and and Bubba have put out um, throughout the year. It has been just awesome to get feedback um, from people uh, about the podcast and to engage with folks. And I just hope that uh, the podcast brought some value to you and your leagues. I hope your leagues ended up uh, going well. And most importantly, that you had a lot of fun um, playing this, this beautiful, beautiful
1: fake game that we play. How about yep. you? No doubt about it. I echo pretty much everything you just said there. So it's been awesome being able to do this with you and other shows that we've done, and it's good to see it's helping people out. That's all that matters here. Is we we enjoy talking baseball and having fun playing this silly game called fantasy baseball, and if us talking about it and giving the you know the two cents that we have on the situation helps you guys out, that's what that's even better. So it's awesome they could do that. And uh, before we sign off, I saw you tweeting about it quite a bit. Why don't you plug your um, your fundraiser you got going on?
0: Oh man, well that's really nice of you, Bubba. Um, yeah. So uh, for folks who have listened to my podcast for a while, I did an interview an interview with my brother Ethan um, a while back. Um, but he runs a nonprofit called Keep Playing Baseball. Uh, Keep Playing Baseball. The goal is really to provide um, uh, equity and access to uh, college baseball. Uh, right now, it's super expensive to play all of the tournaments. And, uh, you know, a lot of kids like end up getting sucked into paying money to help with the recruiting process. And there's just a lot of money and a lot of gatekeepers um, in college baseball and baseball in general. And so his website is dedicated to providing access and information. He's a former uh, D1 assistant coach and recruiting uh, coordinator from um, uh, USC, University of South Carolina Upstate. Um, so he's got a lot of background in that has always played baseball and now he's giving back through his organization called keep playing baseball they have their annual dinner this saturday october 5th um, and so i through Batflip crazy have uh am sponsoring the dinner at 500 bucks and so i was just asking if if anything that we've provided um here on the podcast um or in any of the free content that uh, i've provided at least um uh, if any of that has benefited you and you've cashed out in some form, if you want to consider donating to Keep Playing Baseball, you can just go to my um, uh, Twitter feed. There's information there. You'll see me retweet it. Uh, but just any type of donation would be great. And I'm trying to get the sponsorship level up to $750. So if we can raise 250 additional dollars, that would be really, really awesome. All of it will go uh, right back to them providing more and more content. There's also amazing sports memorabilia on a silent auction that you can check out many, um, Machado signed baseball, Buster Posey signed baseball, Bryce Harper signed baseball, uh, Ricky Fowler. If you're into golf, uh, signed cleats. Um, so all of that stuff is available. Just look at my Twitter feed and thanks for the opportunity to plug that. Um, Bubba, if you don't, uh, if that's not your, your thing, keep playing baseball, then just donate some money to some sort of nonprofit that supports work that you support in the community, because I think it's nice to, uh, to give back to the broader community in addition to uh, just our fantasy baseball community here.
1: Yep. It's a great cause. Everybody go check it out. It's on his Twitter feed at batflipcrazy. Lots of good stuff there. So uh, most of you that listen to Toby have probably done pretty well. So uh, give a little back. It's always a very, very good thing. But until next time, Toby's on Twitter at batflipcrazy. I am on Twitter at BD Intric. If you give both of our podcasts some ratings and reviews, we'd much, much appreciate it. But again, until next time, this was Bubba and the Batflip episode nine. Catch you guys later. That
0: is going to wrap us up for the Bubba and the Backflip podcast number nine and the Backflip Crazy podcast in general. Thank you so much uh, for listening both to this podcast and throughout the season. Um, it's just awesome to be able to produce this podcast and have folks listen and have folks engage um, and have folks uh, sometimes show appreciation. And so really do hope that uh, the podcast is helpful to all of you. Thank you so much for listening. It would not exist or be a thing if you didn't um, and help us. And so thank you so much for that. Really, really appreciate it. You can reach me as always at BatFlipCrazy on Twitter. Take care. Have a great off season and be kind to one another.